Hello, and welcome to Everything Remade, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. I'm Edie Quinn, and I'd like you to hear something. You're hearing Ambivalence by Sonagi, featuring my pal Harim Jung on guitar and sometimes vocals. The song comes off their debut album, Out Soon on Get Better Records. the time my family was living in New Haven, Connecticut, actually on the campus um, in uh, grad student apartments at Yale's Divinity School. My dad was um, doing his master's in divinity at that time, um, studying religion. Um, and I think one of my earliest memories was hanging out at home with my mom, who at the time was a stay-at-home mom, um, waiting for my brother to come home from elementary school down the hill. And I think I remember distinctly, like the Inspector Gadget movie came out around that time. And I think like somehow between me, my brother and some neighbor friends, we kind of assembled all the different pieces for the full like inspector gadget figure guy and it was like pretty hefty it was definitely like maybe about a foot tall um i just remember playing with that hanging out in the kitchen with my mom waiting for my brother for school uh coming home from school um yeah and i guess i just hold a lot of like fondness in that time of my life um nothing like a specific like event or memory but just like generally that time of life like i can place like bits and pieces and flashes up together it probably helps that like my family has photo albums and like i have memories associated with photos as well but i think that's kind of as far back as i can remember yeah did you um like later on did you get or were you into like the cartoons and stuff of inspector gadget like um, or was it just like this, this like sort of touchstone? Yeah, I can't even remember. I feel like maybe I watched even like older cartoons before then, but like when it would come on TV, if it was on, or I also like definitely remember we had like this old videotape of like dubbed cartoons from just all around the world, but dubbed in Korean. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if an old Inspector Gadget cartoon was on that, and maybe that's how I was introduced to the character. Um, I think it's a VCR tape. Probably my brother, who's you know five years older than me, grew up on. And then when I was at home hanging out with mom, I would watch. Um, so there were some like older cartoons. Um, I feel like I can't even remember, but like one of those mecha cartoons. Um, 
maybe it's Voltron where like they're like different limbs or different animals. Yeah. I don't even know that was a cartoon, but I definitely remember seeing like maybe old like eighties, early nineties, like Japanese animes dubbed in Korean on this one specific just VCR tape that I probably played over and over again as a child. Yeah. That's awesome. We didn't like, we didn't have like a tape like that when I was growing up, but when I was a teenager, we definitely did have like headbangers ball versions of that tape, which were just like mm-hmm. our favorite segments from headbangers ball or whatever. And like, I think I had that tape like from when I was, you know, like 10 or something years old until I was like in my thirties. <laughs> I was like, I still have this tape. How do I like, I've been in, like, I've been homeless. I've been, um, mm in like fires you know like where i lived and stuff like how did i still have this tape but um yeah it's it's wild like i i understand like people's um nostalgia for vhs specifically like so much because of like just situations like that where it's like you have like these compilations you know of um of of, of uh, cartoons or just whatever other kind of um, uh, <clears throat> film like that. I don't know, you know, you can't like, I mean, you could do that on DVD, but I don't know any, I've never heard any stories of people doing it, you know? Like I've never heard like, maybe that's the next generation, you know, I'm not sure, but uh, maybe they'll be like, and then we had this DVD of all these uh cartoons that you know my my parents downloaded or whatever i'm not sure but uh yeah i don't know something about those clunky tapes you know just like Mm -hmm. and and you you put them in the machine and and every single time you're not sure if the machine will spit it back out in like a bunch of ribbons or you know Mm -hmm. or or whatever but um yeah like um you know you mentioned um like that you were in the um the I guess it's like sort of like married student housing then like mm-hmm. while your while your parents were while your um, dad was finishing um, the degree and stuff. Um, what did your folks listen to a lot of music around the apartment when you're that age or like were your parents musical at all themselves? Yeah, so my dad, you know, studying religion, he was also. Um, he is also a pastor, though I'm not sure how active he's in the church these days, but, um, you know, he did everything from, like, you know, adult to youth and children ministry, and, and he, he is a guitar player. He um, actually, I think, still um, goes out into the town that he lives. He's in, like, northern New Jersey in Palisades Park, which is um, a pretty, like, diverse uh, big like Korean ethnic enclave, also a Latino enclave. Um, and he would go out and like street evangelize and play some, you know, tunes off like the, um, not exactly like hymnal books, but there's like compilations of CCM, so like contemporary Christian music, um, I guess like tunes that are translated to Korean. And basically it, it almost is like a hymnal book because the music is just like these lead sheets with the melody, you know, written out in 
um, you know, staff music notation and then the chord changes written on top, almost like the real book of like Christian music. Um, but yeah, he, he used to play guitar, um, and sing. Like I have like a lot of memories of him playing guitar and singing growing up. And we used to listen to a lot of like tapes in the car, actually, um, growing up, going on commutes to church, actually, because, um, you know, my dad would be studying in Connecticut. At one point, he um, went to school in New Jersey, which is where, like, my family kind of settled. And we would take, like, long drives from, like, Jersey to, like, Jackson Heights, Queens to go to church. And there's this one um, specific kind of Korean rock singer. Uh, his name is Lee moon um, and I just remember listening his like live album tape a lot. And I actually like rediscovered that artist recently, um, you know, on Spotify and, and YouTube. I'm, just, like, I'm trying to remember who this artist is. And it just kind of came across my searches and I, I found that exact live album. And I feel like I, I played it once, um, maybe for a friend's parent or like an older you know, Korean person, they're like, oh, like the studio version of this is better, but like, I love <laughs> my version because this is the tape that I that I grew up with. So kind of similar to those like, you know, botched cartoon compilations, you know, I would remember Inst- Inspector Gadget in like very high pitched, you know, a little bit out of sync Korean dubbing <laughs> more than, you know, whatever original language it's in. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's actually like interesting thinking about like, tape and I guess VHS as a nostalgia medium of media for me because I feel like I I was born in 1994 so um, I was kind of in that in-between generation so I actually also have like fond memories of like CDs Mm -hmm. and DVDs you know making um, not mixtapes but what would burn like Memorex CDs with crushes growing up and um (laughs) Like with DVDs, like, you know, watching the special features over and over again. Like my dad had a huge DVD collection. Like when Block, Blockbuster was closing, they would have those like five for 20 sales. And like we would just go and collect like every weekend and just watch, you know, maybe it's like the Matrix trilogy or something. Like um, watch the movie, watch like, you know, the action choreography, special features and whatnot. Yeah. 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 It's also wild what you were saying about the person who was like, I like the studio version better than um, the live version, which is like, I thought you were going to make a, you know, like a, a a sort of like screamo, like parallel there. (laughs) Like that's a very, that's a very like, you could just change a couple of words of that. And that's very something that you hear at a screamo show, like all the time. But I mean, you know, of course that translates to any kind of music, but it's just, it's just funny, like to hear this, like, oh yeah, I know that, but you know, this this is better, um, kind of thing. Um, yeah, like, uh, so y- your dad did play guitar. Like, do you think um, that's like where some of your interest came from? Like, um, when you finally decided that you wanted to play guitar, like, were your parents all for that, or was it kind of like, okay, that's cool, but you also you have to stay with your schoolwork and all that. I mean, that's the typical thing, so. Yeah, so I think, like, I started playing music, um, like, 
mid late elementary school um that was around the time where like you had the choice to like either do orchestra band choir or you know just like art appreciation extracurriculars mm-hmm. um and my brother was playing an orchestra he was like playing viola in the middle school orchestra so um i picked cello at that time um and then in like fifth sixth grade i started playing bass in uh the church youth group um and yeah i guess electric bass or stand-up bass yeah electric bass um i was like starting out on bass guitar there was like a adult at the church who had one of those like ibanez starter kit basses like he had just an extra lying around and he let me borrow it. So I kind of like sat down ultimate guitar tabs, like obviously like learning some, um, you know, church songs, but Mm -hmm. also, um, at that time, my brother was getting into his, you know, early two thousands punk rock phase. So, you know, I would try to like learn, like Blink-182 tabs or something and like try to play along with him. I had this little Ibanez bass and like a Behringer combo amp. Um, I guess like at that time, you know, um, my my parents actually split up like when I was in, in, in first grade. So I was just living with my mom and she was all for like us playing music. It was an activity that you know, kind of kept us occupied, out of trouble, get more involved in the church. And she was actually like a huge support uh, for music for me because um, come middle school, I actually switched from cello to upright bass and almost kind of like on accident to a certain degree because like, you know, show up to orchestra rehearsal like the first day of middle school and the teacher would ask me you know what instrument do you want to play like well i play cello but i also want to play you know bass guitar for the orchestra um because um the same middle school orchestra conductor was the high school conductor high school had a guitar ensemble and this conductor guy is kind of a like old school jersey rock and roll head so like sometimes they would do like orchestra plus the guitar ensemble like big i don't know like covers of like leonard skinner or something goofy like that sure and like um you know like if there are any kids in the orchestra or the guitar ensemble that played electric guitar electric bass or or drum set like they would be able to play that along the orchestra so my thinking was like Cello is my main, but if you want me to play bass guitar when we do these like rock orchestra things, like count me in. And then I think he's just like, you should just try like Santa bass, just see how how you like it for like a, a day or two. And I tried, I'm like, oh, this is like the same instrument, but stood up. So maybe I should try this out. And then like, I took like a little half size one, like I'm, like, I'm gonna take it home. And, it's like, how am I gonna fit this in like my one Nissan Sentra? Like, but we, we we figured it out, and I I was really motivated to practice, and my mom even like through high school, even into college a little bit, like supported me in taking private lessons on stand up bass. Uh, I did mostly like classical stuff, um, and yeah, I was like super into 
classical double bass, you know, doing state and, and private orchestras and even actually wanted to go to college for that for a second. Uh, but then I decided to go to liberal arts school instead, but I, I did still major in music. But um, yeah, like music has always just been something that has been a positive and, and like supportive thing in my life. That's awesome. Yeah, that that's, um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not, not, not like, I mean, it's like on an individual case, like I think it's probably, you know, pretty varied, but it, it was surprising for you to, <clears throat> for me anyway, to hear that you were the switch from cello to bass was like seemed or felt like seamless to you. I thought that like they were, I thought that I always thought that cello was more similar to violin or viola than it was to bass, but I guess like is it just like a, a um the way it feels or are the is the way you play yeah. it similar still So I think the main difference between like stand up bass to the other stringed instruments like the conventional ones in orchestra is that um you know, the, the, the strings on a bass are tuned to fourths, E, A, D, G. Um, all the other instruments are actually tuned to fifths if you go up the strings. So, like, double stops or, you know, like, chords would feel completely, like, different. And that was definitely an adjustment. Another thing um, for, for, for stand-up bass is unless you're going up, like, past the kind of the octave, the um, quote-unquote, like, 12th fret of, of a stand-up bass. Um, you wouldn't use your third finger. You wouldn't use your ring finger for fingering. It would all be, like, um, one, two, and four, so, like, the, the pointer, the middle, and, and the pinky. Um, whereas on the other instruments, like, you would use your ring finger for, like, half-step fingerings. Um, kind of similar to, like, how maybe, like, traditional, like, even electric bass, like, R&B and, like, jazz players would play, like, they want to really use their ring finger much, uh, only, like, one, two, and four, um, and, like, do more, you know, half-step shifts. Um, so that, that was definitely an adjustment, but also, I guess it kind of did feel natural, just um, because it was so translatable for from bass guitar, which I guess I was playing for, like, a year prior to switching to stand-up bass. Oh, okay. But and and also it sounds like the um, <clears throat> the transition is mostly like mental. Like you're just you just had to think like this is where this goes on this because the size was similar enough that that wasn't as jarring. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It was it was definitely like mental, and then like how like you access that in like your hands, like and then the body too. Um, I think like the one plus of like stand-up bass compared to other string instruments too is that the the, the tuners are machine tuners as opposed to the pegs. Oh um, right. So it's a little bit more like fine grade, like like a guitar. Um, and like you know those other instruments like the peg tuning, it's like this archaic technology <laughs> using like old pieces of like wood, maybe like ebony, and like even the slightest adjustment would like potentially break a string or yeah. like get it way out of tune and they'd have like fine tuners on the bridge, but like those, like you'd have to keep rotating, like even just to get it up or down a half step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you said that like at, at some point your, your 
trying to learn like Blink-182 songs and stuff. Is that about also the same time when you thought, hey, this is something that I could possibly do like extracurricularly, like like I could maybe like be in a band someday? I think, yeah. So I think like in terms of like playing in bands and bass guitar, I think like playing church music was like, the the kind of main place to like get out of that energy out. I did try to like jam with some friends from or not really friends, just like these kids from like you know late elementary school, uh, middle school, whose you know parents let them do like garage or or, or basement bands, and mm-hmm. I would like study and show up like learning, you know like the tabs for Blink-182 songs or like Smells Like Teeth Spirit by Nirvana and like, you know, just be one of those towny cover bands essentially. Um, but like that never really panned out. Um, and so I just kind of um, stayed with it, like playing church music. There were a lot of like, there's a lot of like Christian artists and bands that probably continue to like make, you know, music alternative rock kind of sounding things that are like with the times so it did feel very rock and roll to me but also still doing church music and i actually like did that up through um even like halfway through college like there's just um a community and group of like korean american church kids in the northeast that just happened to be like talented musicians and we'd like get in get together fill in for one another if like someone needed a bass player for like a youth revival or a retreat like one month i go help and then if like i can't do something like they might find another bass player to fill in for me for like another group of people i was i was playing with so i I was kind of doing that and even like kind of toward like toward ish like got asked to play revival for you know korean christian youth out in chicago um on like a stage in a like auditorium for like 500 people (laughs) that was like my point i'm just like i this is the summer before i started college i'm doing this this is super intense they have really big budgets for this kind of stuff um you know obviously because churches are tax exempt and can get all the crazy like cabs and mics and light equipment um yeah it was it was crazy i felt like almost like i'm I'm this christian rock star yeah no it really sounds like it Was that like 
one of your first show experiences then and you're playing in front of like 500 people i guess like first big like out of town kid because i would definitely do like the locals like oh come play at this church's revival they need a band mm-hmm. they actually pay decently like i i do remember some of these churches had budgets to like for one night pay each musician like a hundred bucks and like oh i'm gonna stash that away for like snacks or video games or whatever i was spending at that time in my life mm-hmm. yeah it's it's wild it's like um you know i i don't i don't have that kind of experience but just from playing like DIY shows for so long already and then you you know we had a similar like experience one time when when we were all in Acamele where like someone hit us up from Purdue which like they just had just like a budget and they were just like we want to put your band on a show here and we're just so used to like oh, like, you know, it'll be a show and, like, if people come, then, you know, you might get some some door money, et cetera, et cetera. But it was just like, oh, we have this, like, you know, we want to put on a show and we want your band to play. And they're like, is $400 okay? And we're like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, you know, like right, right. Um, $400, like, f- like they're going to, like that's how much they're going to pay everybody like that's how much like how mu- how how much they have and then they'll have to pay like whatever and it was just like no we showed up we were the only band that played like we played and they gave us $400 and we were like what is this you know <laughs> but like yeah i mean th- you know it's like um those kinds of shows never happened, uh, you know, like ever again for me personally. But um, like, yeah, the, you know, when an organization has a budget for, um, uh, I guess like, you know, entertainment or whatever, like this was just like a club at Purdue and they just had this entertainment budget. They didn't spend any of it. Then they're like, well, we have to spend it because it's not not ours, you know, or whatever. Um and so it's wild being in those situations where you like sort of like i don't know you know like that's never going to happen to me again that's uh it never happened before then but it's it's just like this is just how some places operate or whatever you know like um and uh yeah i don't i don't know how often you reflect on your experience when you're like um sleeping on a a, a basement floor you know after mm-hmm. after a DIY show but uh you know it's like oh, I really wish I had some of that uh video game and snack money right about now but uh <laughs> but um yeah like uh how you said that you felt like a little bit like nervous and and stressed about that situation but like once it was all over how did you feel then like after you just played to like all these people and how does that compare to like an average show now yeah so i mean part of it was definitely like really cool and rewarding but i think like that was like that specific event was like 
the start of like that crack in like the good Christian kid in me because mm-hmm. like that's when I started to question like this feels over the top this feels hypocritical I don't like fully like stand with what some of the messaging these people are like kind of indoctrinating and in, in young people I mean like queer and homophobia is like a huge problem in you know the church in the you know diasporic churches in the Korean American church um and you know at the time I, I, I didn't know I was queer but like mm-hmm. it rubbed me the wrong way like no like you know we should you know be kind and, and be open and affirming to you know queer people not knowing that like in my head like I was actually queer this whole time um so I, I feel like I, I distinctly remember just kind of having a bit of like a stress breakdown maybe like the last evening that because like it wasn't just like a one night event it was like almost a whole week it was like we were playing like five nights in a row these like revival type things where we we would be playing like you know hours of music and and, like we would do the drawn out like half an hour long like prayer time where like you know me and the musicians i was playing like we would just you know goof off and play like some post-rocky like interludes to like the same four chord changes from like the bridge of the last song we played but like in those things like you know like saw like young people like kind of being deprived like you know sensory deprivation um and even like played events where like you know people would get overstimulated and like have seizures or something. And, you know, I don't think there was like proper medical attention. People just like pull the person aside and like, we got to start praying for them because they're being quote unquote possessed by a demon or the Holy spirit or, you know, whatever fits like whoever's responding, like whatever, whoever, whichever adults response, like their agenda. Uh, And that just, that just didn't sit well with me. Um, so it was like a both and like this is cool but also i'm starting to see there's there's some like issues there are some red flags here okay yeah i'm sorry i was like paint painting that in a different way i I wasn't you know uh aware that you were also having these other kinds of experiences there i'm i'm thinking like more like this is um like you playing a show and then like mingling in the church atmosphere like afterwards and not um the way that it sounds where it's like this whole thing uh and everything intertwined the way that it was that that's um that's really yeah i don't know that's really something that like you know i mean obviously there's no comparison then to the way that um you know, you would feel after a playing show now where you're in completely invested in the music and the messages behind what you're doing and, you know, and, and, and on the level with all the people, um, you know, for the most part that, um, come out to see you play and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, the only like, uh, you know, parallel that might have been was at a, at a certain point, you know, the, just the actual raw feeling of 
you know, performing loud music with people, you know, was probably like fun until you realize what else was happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah. It was definitely, I'm, I'm kind of thinking back too, because like I started doing that kind of music like early high school and like it's kind of a maybe a, you know, humor-based coping mechanism but looking back I'm like you know I felt like I was too young to do kind of that sort of stuff it was definitely like overstimulating like meeting like a lot of people that like somehow I got connected to on social media but like really only meeting in passing and I I really wouldn't see again because it's not like DIY where like we can go on tour and, and meet up with like you know people and meet new people um, and like stay connected and like, you know, maybe someone from uh, like the town we just played it would come into town and we reunite and now there would be fun. It's like sometimes I would meet people once they're on like my social feed and like I would never see them again. And at, at like 17, 18, that's like overwhelming. And I feel like almost like a, a, a you know, a child forced to pilot an Eva or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, that's something I never thought. Like, you know, um, I guess it's not, it's not like the same as you just like met a bunch of people through the church and then connected because y'all liked, all liked Under Oath or something. Like that's mm-hmm. a much more specific thing. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask, was, was that like also a thing? Was that also part of like you bridging like you're playing music uh, with the church in the church organization to like um, finding like more abrasive music that interested you? Like, did you get into those like tooth and nail? Like, did you come to Screamo like sort of by way of like Cornerstone type stuff as well? or Or was that not a factor? I think it was a little bit more like drawn out of a process like i definitely had like a indie and pop punk phase in in high school and like the home church i went to you know when i wasn't out being stripped to play music for for strangers um Mm -hmm. you know i had like a group of friends and like you know we'd be like listening to bands like the lion k and like jimmy world together so you know a little little emo little uh pop punky and then i guess like um, you know, I kind of got into like more DIY music like in college because I um, went to a school in Connecticut that had a pretty like, um, you know, high budget operation like booking collective. So there were a lot of, you know, bands at the school that, you know, were trying to, um, you know, open for touring bands that would come into town like you know kind of get to know who the like you know kids in charge of the concert collective that year was so there was a little bit of like a competitive atmosphere amongst like these like in-house school bands I kind of just maybe bridging the high school me like played in a little like pop punk cover band with you know other um queer and trans kids in college like we covered like Jimmy World My Chemical Romance um and then, like, after college, that kind of formed into a band where we started writing original songs. That kind of fell apart around the time I moved to Philly. But then, um, 
you know, like having come to Philly, I, I actually like met Ryan um, at the first show I ever went to in Philadelphia. Um, it was with their um, old band um, with Griffin and Matt real life buildings. And they were playing with uh, Samus, who is a, a, a hip hop artist on Don Giovanni records. And, you know, at that time I was like fond of like DIY labels, like Don Giovanni, like listening to their like, whole catalog because I, I moved back to Jersey and I'm like, oh, this is a, a local you know, New Brunswick label. I'm like really interested to discover and explore. And I saw Ryan playing with, with that band and um, I think I kind of made the connection of, huh, I think I actually saw these people play Closer like a few months prior um, and that was actually like at uh, Shea Stadium in Brooklyn. Um, I was kind of working, um, doing service jobs in New York City, my gap year between finishing college and moving to Philly. And I just happened to go when Closer played with Nine of Swords and Soul Glow, which, you know, awesome stacked bill that I didn't really think about much in 2016. I think that was maybe one of Closer's first shows. But then I kind of recognized them. And then we kind of connected there. And Ryan was like, yeah, I, I'm actually like just moving to Philly now too. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I think we just kind of decided to become show buddies there. And then over time, you know, um, we kind of um, discovered like the Screamo shows that were being booked in people's houses and, and warehouses, you know, bands like hundreds of AU were like coming to town um, and, you know, we kind of befriended the kids in, in binary and, and soul glow um, just by showing up to the shows and being like, Oh, this is a cool thing. Like we're kind of interested in this. Um, we're not like too, like we're, we're just dipping our toes in screamo. And then like over time, we just kind of became the regulars and whenever touring bands would come to town, like, you know, they kind of recognize us from, the internet and I, I do remember even seeing you on tour with Coma Regalia um, at uh, a basement in South Philly Sit Bucket. Um, yeah, and I think uh, I think Mitchie was was playing bass at that gig. Um, but yeah, like I think just by showing up and you know buying tapes and shirts from from touring bands, like I kind of naturally just saw myself falling into screamo just by like showing up to the DIY gigs in Philly, just going to people's basements, bringing some cash with me. Um, that's something I've never really like experienced before. I mean, I went to like some concerts here and there and like, you know, um, you know, mid-sized rooms in, in New York city, seeing like, you know, big label indie bands, but like coming to Philly was really the first time seeing like, Oh, y'all are like really doing this yourselves. Like there's a person in the house, collecting door and like, yeah, like, so I think DIY and Screamo just are very like coupled together for me. Um, I, I don't think like any other genre of music, although like, you know, I've expanded my horizons since have to catch other kind of touring bands of other genres, but like really that DIY, you know, Epic was introduced to me just by going to Screamo shows with, with my pal. Um, and seeing all these bands come into town. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, it, I guess it's, you know, 
it might feel like it was a long time before you really got like your legs under you uh, with your own band and stuff. But was that like kind of when the idea got planted? Like, okay, like this is something that's approachable to me in a way that hasn't been like or haven't felt previously. Like, was it that um, level of like, you know, like seeing everybody like quite literally doing all of it like right in front of you like was it that that was like okay like let's do something where i'll write my own songs and you know it'll be more than like playing cover songs and stuff or was that still a while of going to shows that made you feel like all right i'm ready for that yeah i think like yeah i mean the band i played in college like we did like a year after college like writing our own original songs and like being a band like trying to book at bars in in new york um okay and that didn't really pan out after a year i think like like the long distance and stuff just kind of came up and, and got to us like we did some like diy recordings um you know that 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 were fun to do and i think it's what i needed at the time uh but i think it was really like going to screamer shows in Philly and hanging out with Ryan. And then like, I think just after, you know, several months, maybe even a year of going to shows, we're like, maybe, maybe we can, maybe we can like just try jamming together and see where this goes. Um, and it would be cool uh, to see, you know, more like um, queer and trans artists, you know, locally doing this, supporting bands coming into town. So yeah, I guess in some ways, like, let's try this out. And, like, we were kind of carving out our own space for ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was going to ask, because I know that y'all recorded with Steve, and I've I've never recorded with Steve, but I have a better idea of what that entails. Um, but um, you mentioned doing, like, your own recordings with your band prior to that. Now, what kind of situation was that with that just like um one or two mics like and just you know whatever like uh whatever doll that y'all had downloaded or like um what is what is the difference in the two experiences yeah um so i think i recorded twice with that band the first time we actually just um rented a studio Oh, okay. in Brooklyn um, and we had our friend who also studied you know music at the college I went to um, you know kind of like try things out like he's experimented with like home recording and like using like the whole like you know DAW and, and mixing board and, and micing but like nothing like you know we're like super professionals like let's kind of you know, mess around with the Glenn Johns method and see what we get. Cause like uh, a few of us have taken like, you know, the, the intro to music recording and, and sound design class. So just trying to do some things there, but like nothing like we sat down and had a whole day of like fine tuning and, and mic placement and EQing the amps. It was more of like, let's just put a mic in front of this and see how it sounds and like mess around with like, you know, downloadable plugins. Uh, and then the second time we kind of did the same thing, but my friend had like some equipment, like 
mobile recording rig that he was like putting together and, and we did it like um at his parents house out in out in long island um but like really recording with steve was like the first time like that like i went into a studio like that where like the engineer was like doing all the mic placement and, and the eqing and like kind of adjusting things on the board and on the computer as as we were going and really like trying to like work with us and capturing the sound that we were going for and like giving like his input um yeah i think when we recorded for you know that the split we did on middleman with uh cola in dispose in a world sky that was like the first time i had that kind of like you said uh before about your you know the first time that you've done it like that that was like what you needed at the time sort of you know Mm -hmm. so like i think that's really interesting like um do you still have any of those recordings like have you listened to them and been like oh okay i mean like do, do you still have any fond like memories of that or um like i might go back like once a year just be like huh i wonder like how much this has aged and like, yeah, yeah. how much like I've seen like kind of musical growth in myself since. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely like super fun at times. Some of the recordings probably are still floating around on the internet, but um, yeah, nothing that I'm like actively like, yeah, no, I'm going to go back. And, yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you to plug it or tell us where it's at. Uh, it's just, yeah. it's interesting because like, you know, uh, there's um, th- like, the the people from say usurp synapse for example like they would they would to this day just shit over like all their recordings they'd be like they're awful blah 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 but sometimes it's just like those accidents like it's like it wouldn't be what it is if you didn't uh make those mistakes or um or just those uh particular the the outcome of the circumstances and the situation that you're in creates something that is special in a way that you know it wouldn't have before um and like you said you needed that to get to where you know you are now and where you um know what you're looking for and like how to communicate with people um it also doesn't hurt that steve is, is very very familiar like with the genre in a way that you know only two or three other engineers i could think of are you know so like yeah um like you you absolutely could could not go wrong i mean um 
uh, Steve is the only person to ever mix a Coma Regalia song other than myself. And the reason that I did that was because um, we were uh, we were going on this project where I was like, you know, everybody is going to have a certain level of like, um, I don't want to say quality because that sort of like sounds like I'm degrading myself for the job that I usually do. But I just thought that everyone is going to have, there's going to be an expectation. Like there's going to be sort of a, you know, a, a, like a, I wanted the playing field to be very level. I wanted that we could expect our stuff to sound produced in a way that was similar to what you might consider industry standards or whatever, you know? And it was just like, to me, it was like, who else would I ask, you know? It's Steve, first first and foremost, you know? And um, I said like zero words <laughs> to Steve about how I wanted it to sound or whatever. I sent him the stuff, he sends it back, and I'm like, uh, well, okay, the only thing is I want this vocal at the end to sound like it's like a sample or something. You know, I was like, I specifically, I was like, you know, like on a U and I record <laughs> and, uh, he sends it back and I'm like, yep, it's perfect. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with that like level of, uh, familiarity and like knowledge, you know, of, um, the, the genre and stuff. Um, but yeah, um, were you, like nervous at all the first time when you went in to record like uh especially like with your LP it being like sort of a uh did it feel like more hinged on that recording than like than you had anticipated or oh yeah I mean recording I think was such a um was it what yeah, it, it was it was it was a stressful process. Um, Sunagi is actually like the first band I, I play guitar, and and I, I pretty much kind of like learned how to play guitar for this band, um, just because the first time we jam, like me, Mike, and and, and Ryan, um, I was actually gonna play bass. Ryan maybe drums and vocals, and Mike on guitar. Um, I kind of wrote a little octave chord riff thing that like. I had like this old beater guitar lying around I'm like, oh, check this out. And Mike's like, that's cool. You're playing guitar for this band. I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and the first time we did actually uh, record with Steve for that split, I think we had only like rehearsed a handful of times as a band um, with Keon on drums. Um, and that was like a few weeks maybe before even our first ever show. So we'd never even played in front of people. And like, here we are like, capturing like a studio sound um it it, it panned out well it, it was really fun um and even looking back on like recording the lp um with, with scott at backroom um yeah i was like a little bit nervous i think like the pandemic played kind of a role because um you know like we hadn't been playing shows we, we hadn't played our first show you know, kind of quote unquote back um, at that point. Um, all we did was kind of rehearse where we could. Um, 
know, sometimes with Matt, sometimes like we would see each other only once every two or three months. At that point, in like, I guess, yeah, fall 2021. Um, so there was like a lot of nerves going into that. Um, but then because like it was an out of town studio experience, I think that's when we started to kind of bond more as a band, not just like people who, who jammed, who kind of wrote songs together. And that was that, but like we, we started becoming friends through that experience. Okay. I didn't, I didn't realize that you recorded the LP at Backroom. I thought I just had assumed you recorded that with Steve as well, because um, the last that I knew that Ryan was uh, Steve's roommate and stuff. And that I just made that assumption. Um, so you did record with, with Scott at Backroom. Did, yeah, yeah. Did Scott also and, mix and it? Scott uh, mixed and mastered it, though I will say uh, one of the tracks um, that will be coming out when the LP comes out, um, Steve recorded the, the instruments uh, for. Okay, so you, you have just like, you had like a one more track that you had to do, or how did that come about that this one track was recorded um, separately than the rest of the album? Yeah, it's actually like a, a previous track that we had recorded and released and we kind of did a little bit of like fine tuning. Like I think I redid the guitars with Steve and then Ryan and I redid the vocals for with, with Scott. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. But it was like, it was just like stems that Scott got and then everything like got mixed and mastered like in sequence to, you know, be sound a part of the the LP recording and stuff. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Brilliant. That's awesome. Um, how did y'all get, um, in touch with the folks at get better and how, how did, how did you become involved with them for releasing the LP? Yeah. Um, so, you know, get better are like Philly based though. I think they're some of their kind of core team members are actually like, transitioning to moving to different parts of the country so um actually i think keon lived with um alex and jenna at one point when he first moved to philly plus um you know recording with uh steve you know jenna was over at at the house uh the permanent hearing damage house a lot so we kind of just figured hey this is a cool like local label that like uplifts queer trans artists were a band with this record that like we um, put a lot of work into and have a lot of faith in might not hurt just to like get in touch with these folks send um you know like the uh masters of them see what they think um and they 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 really liked it and, and have been excited about um putting out working with us and it's kind of just gone there since um and they're like super they're all super love, lovely people there um and you know once in a while you know we might run into some of the people just like in passing or figure like oh we kind of go to the same coffee shops or the bike shops um actually i think one at one point um alex brought their guitar uh, not their guitar <laughs> their their bike into the shop that mike works at so it's <laughs> kind of just like it feels like it's almost like in the family, uh, but yeah. also like, you know, Get Better is an awesome way when they're like also continuing to expand and, and like really, um, yeah, I think they're just really, um, 
have have their stuff in like navigating the industry in a way that like centers and uplifts um, queer trans voices. So it's like knowing the stuff and also like disrupting the stuff, which I think is like super cool of like their ethic. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I've <clears throat> they are they are definitely a label that like I've sort of seen like from a f- only a few years like it feels like they really like blew up and uh it's really cool that you know like you said they're at the core of their message is always just like you know like you said like uplifting like uh queer queer voices trans voices you know um and uh voices of like you know non-white people and stuff like that as well um so yeah it's it's um it's really cool to see y'all working with them and I'm excited to hear the record. Um I um I I like knew like before I mean I remember way back like when you would just post like little noodles like on Facebook or whatever. Yeah. And I just know that Ryan and, you know, and Keon, like Keon is like the secret sauce of so many bands at this point, you know, like, um, and I just knew, like, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a really good band. Like, this is going to be a band that's going to come sort of out of nowhere and surprise people and, and take people's ears like on hold, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to, to hear that. And I'm glad that you're, you found like such a, a good fit with that label and stuff. Um, I know that um, y'all just got back from a little tour and I know that y'all have like uh, more shows like um, coming up and stuff. Um, so do you want to tell us like w- what, you know, what, like, can you say when to expect the record and like where people can catch you coming up and stuff? Yeah, so um, the record will be out late July. I believe July 22nd is okay. the day of the release. Um, so that'll be out on digital, on tape with uh, Get Better Records. Um, and we should be announcing some shows around the time of the release. Uh, we are um, booked for New Friends Fest. Um, so there will be some dates around that, we're finalizing some details, but that will be announced like pretty shortly. So um, yeah, that will be, I guess, our first time out on the road other than this weekend that we just did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, uh, <clears throat> I guess like, um, is there, like before we take off, is there anything else that that we should chat about that I didn't, that we didn't sort of cover already or? Um, yeah, nothing really comes to mind, but I I do definitely like appreciate like, you know, you, you even naming, like following those like little bits and and noodles I post on like social media (laughs) as I was like learning techniques to write riffs. I think that was like really like an interesting thing about this band. I think like every song we wrote, I like challenge myself to try a try a different technique um try tremolo picking try um you know palm muting um 
And I think just like having gone on this weekend tour, like I'm just really grateful for like my bandmates, um, for us kind of just like believing in each other and like seeing each other through our own like respective growths, whether it's like me learning guitar, um, or, you know, I think Mike really like his identity as a, as a bass player really like set in stone with this band, um, like, you know, Keon, um, drumming and like kind of joining in on that, like trying some like new techniques out, um, and feeling like that, like, just like refreshing and, and motivation, um, to like, to kind of grow and, and, and I'm like really grateful that we all kind of have that, that impact on each other. I think like Ryan too, as um, a standalone vocalist for the first time in this band, um, there's been a lot of growth that like we've seen in them as well. Um, and of course, like that all happening in like such a supportive um, community of people in Screamo, just like friends and bands like across the country, across the globe really that, that, that little like, you know, have you in town for a show, host you, make you a vegan dinner, like in a heartbeat, um, all the like awesome labels, like middleman, ZBR, um, that are like, you know, just kind of vanguards in, in the community and, and keeping the things going, um, and like really just like allowing people like to do this and, and express themselves and, and like go through their own kind of growth, um, you know, with that DIY ethos, um, I think in a really like caring and, and non-judgmental way, really, um, that like is something that is to be like really cherished and, and, and admired. So I guess all this to say, like, I appreciate you, um, you know, having me join in uh, for, for the, this call, for this podcast, um, you know, you and, you know, all the um, awesome stuff that Middleman does, all the awesome music that you put out, um, like really means a lot to me. And I think is like, um, you know, a big part of like what has allowed us to keep going. Um, and um, I think it's just something that's continued to happen in, in, in parallel with like where we're going and, 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 and I'm just excited to, to be here and to be um, a friend and, and, and community with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That that really, <laughs> I really, um, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit, <clears throat> I'm, I'm verklempt, I guess you could say. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Uh, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a little teary-eyed and stuff, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much. And that was my conversation with Harim Jung. Thank you so much, Harim, for taking the time to chat with me. I cannot wait to hear that record. In the meantime, I'll invite you all to check out patreon.com slash human machine and see what kind of cool stuff that I've been up to there and remind folks in the label and band area that you can sponsor an episode of the show for $10 anytime you like just get in touch 
Until next time, take care and do good things.